Hello everybody, welcome to my podcast. Um, this is Bariatric Girl or Bariatric Girl 1969 and I know it's been a while since I did an update but I just wanted to um, share with you some of the things that's been on my mind. You'll have to excuse me, I'm actually driving right now. Anyway, uh, for those of you that are just now tuning in, uh, I uh, live in Georgia, in Forest Park, Georgia now. It was Jonesboro originally, I believe, when I first started the podcast, I believe. And um, I was uh, pushing close to almost 300 pounds, and I'm five foot four. And I'm happy to say I'm barely over my one-year mark. Today is, I believe, the 16th or 17th of January 2022. And I originally had my bariatric surgery on December 28th, 2020. And my one-year anniversary was December 28th, 2021, just last month. And I'm very proud of myself because now I am down to 151 pounds. Like, that's like a, about right at 100, 100 uh, pound weight loss. And um, I'm feeling great for the most part. Yes, if you ask me, I do have some regrets, but overall, my pros weigh out the <laughs> Sorry about that. I had a little interruption. Phone rang. <laughs> Anyhow, um, so I've had a little over 100 pound weight loss, and I've managed to keep it off very well. Although, by me being a little over a year out, I am on a regular food diet again, and I'm supposed to be able to eat like one cup of food at a time per meal, like three to four times a day, but that's not even possible still for me yet. Um, I have had issues with taking my um, multivitamin and my calcium, of course. Um, a lot of people, I think, make that mistake, and it causes them health issues in the long run. So make sure if you're considering or have had this surgery, make sure that you take your vitamins because they tell you to do it for a reason. And I've noticed little things like I've had vitamin uh, B1 deficiencies. Um, sometimes I get overly tired when I shouldn't be that tired. I've just noticed a lot of things. So make sure you take your vitamins and preferably I would not recommend taking over-the-counter regular vitamins uh, and the reason why is because the amount of vitamins and nutrients that are in the pills um, you may have to take more of to get what your body is lacking where in which brings me to actual bariatric vitamins they are made specifically for one's body who has had and is still in recovery uh, for the bariatric or gastric sleeve surgery. So the vitamin thing is extremely important. Do not overlook that. And I cannot stress enough the importance of drinking your fluids. When you drink your fluids, everything makes a difference. And I don't mean soda and juices and you know, things that are unhealthy, sweet tea, unless you use Splenda, of course, or Swerve. Me, personally, I discovered this uh, sugar um, that's called Swerve, and it's uh, 
It actually tastes way better. It does not have that after bad taste that uh, Splenda has. Not that I'm knocking Splenda because Splenda is good for all sorts of different things. But for me, preferably, I go with Swerve. They make brown sugar, they make powdered sugar, and they make regular granuled sugar. And I purchase mine usually on Amazon as a trio set, and it doesn't cost that much either. But look at it like this. If you're paying as much money as my surgery was, you're going to want to get everything, all the necessary correct supplies that your body is going to need for the complete recovery and for you to go long term after that for the upkeep, especially if you want to keep that. Because I have seen, and I know, a couple of people, like one of my best friends, for example, First she had the lap band, that was unsuccessful. Then she had the gastric sleeve and she was not doing what she was supposed to have done. And she had to get a revision, which means she got it redone all over again. And now she's like nine years out and she is very successful with her progress. Uh, she did it the right way. So it does matter what you do because you basically are what you eat. If you put, you know, basically, crap in your body, your body is going to feel and run like crap and look like crap. So please be careful. And I am 52 years old. And again, my name is Angela or Bariatric Girl. Um, I did this for a number of reasons. Um, for looks, of course, all of us want to look very youthful and thank God I've always looked pretty youthful, even for my age. Um, I'm very proud of my accomplishments. Um, but I knew something was missing. Um, <clears throat> there were several different aspects, like you heard on one of my other podcasts, that led me into the overeating. Um, I have bipolar disorder. I have post-traumatic stress. I have OCD issues, uh, borderline personality disorder, a number of things due to things that happened to me when I was younger. Um, I've always tried to make the most of things, and I'm trying to protect the names and the people uh, in my podcasts at the same time being able to express where I'm coming from. So, um, if you have comments or whatever, um, please, you know, you know, make note of that. I definitely, um, you know, will respond if you do. And you could also respond, you know, uh, directly to my email at bariatricgirl1969 at gmail.com if you're not able to do it here on this podcast. But please make sure you follow and share my episodes. Um, yes, at times they may become a little graphic and very sensitive. So if you're under the age of like 18 years old or even, even of age, you know, it's going to be a lot of very delicate material that is going to be discussed of my own personal experiences. And I'm hoping that maybe, just maybe, um, I can reach the people out there that may be going through or have went through some of the things that I have. Hopefully you have not. Because it's not fun. Um, but at the same time, it brings me to, I really do not regret everything that's happened in my life because it had I not went through the things that I had went through, I would not be the strong, focused individual that I am today, although I would have liked to have been a little bit more focused on other things. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a very emotional and very passionate person about life and 
still be wrong at times. Um, but uh, anyway, I'm going to take a break real quick. took a turn. Apparently my, I didn't know this at the time, but I learned about this later that my grandmother almost had a heart attack because of her learning from the school what had been going on and the touching and things like that. And it needed to be addressed. So of course my grandmother, uh, 
told my mother and apparently my grandmother became so physically sick she thought she was going to have a heart attack I found out later and I was pretty much for the most you know for the most I was, I was pretty much to blame for that um, for my mother um, and it made my grandmother even nervous because nervous disorders or anxiety and and you know uh, depression does run in my family very thick uh, especially through the women not not so much for, for the men I don't believe not that I've heard but um, I uh, I got home like I said and I was at home my mom was there and she's like so Angela is there something that you need to tell me and she was acting very kind of angry but I can tell that she had been drinking. She was very intoxicated at this time. Very. Um, so I was like, no, what do you mean? And she's like, are you sure you don't want to tell me something and all about Chaz? And I was like, why? Why do you say that? She's like, I got an interesting phone call at grandma's house today when I was over there washing clothes about something that he had been doing to you that you had discussed with somebody at the school. And in my head, I remember kind of like dropped down and I was, I kind of felt very nervous. I didn't really know what to say. Uh, I was embarrassed. And she flat out asked me exactly what had he been doing? What had he done? And I told her, she asked me if there was anything else, if he had, in, you know, entered inside of me. And I told her no, which was the truth. He had not. And. It went from that extreme to um, her crying and telling me that she would handle this, that never should have happened, and for me to go into my room and stay there until she tells me to come out. I almost felt like I was on restriction or something. Um, shortly thereafter, maybe a couple hours later, uh, I heard Chaz uh, come home. And I know there was like a commotion. My mom was arguing with him. And then I came out and she said that she had spoke to him and he had something to tell me. At that time, Chaz looked at me and he kind of like had his head down and he apologized and said that it was wrong, that he never should have did that. And I'm sorry, I didn't mean it that way, which he did mean it that way, but that's what he said. Um, anyhow, my mother in return had the both of us out there and he she told him do not let this ever happen again it never should have happened and it better not happen again he agreed and then she told me that if it ever did for me to come to her and let her know and I also agreed so that was how that situation was handled then time went on like maybe a month or so and the same thing started happening and apparently my mother at this time was pregnant with my uh, younger sister I'm the oldest and um, Jenny I'm just gonna say is what her name is my mother was pregnant by with you know with Jenny and oh everybody was so very excited very happy um, <sighs> You know, I was getting a lot of extra attention. I knew I was going to be a big sister. Uh, and I was always helping my mom out. Um, and for the most part, I think I was a good girl. I was a little bit mischievous. And I got into things that I think all, you know, preteens get in. 
you know, because I was fairly young. I wasn't even a teenager yet. <laughs> so, um, eventually, um, <laughs> Okay, I'm back. I had a phone call. Everybody keeps calling my phone at this time. <laughs> so anyhow, um, things started to go normal again, for the most part. And then one night, I guess they were having a party, kind of, sort of. Chaz had grew up and had a girlfriend from previously named Catherine, let's just call her. And Catherine was pretty, pretty attractive. Very busty, should I say. <laughs> um, and she really seemed to be a, an attention seeker, let's just say. Especially for Chaz's attention. Well, as the night went on, um, the two of them were kind of carrying on, you know, drinking and stuff, dancing around. Uh, they kept telling me to go into the living room. Well, mom obviously was pregnant at the time and she really, she was still drinking, but she was not drinking as much. Let's just say mom was not feeling herself. She really did not feel too good. So she decided to lay down. Well, I had my, um, uh, best friend staying over there named Marie we'll call her and we were the type that we would like spy and see what's going on we'd always find things to get into we'd roam the neighborhood and see what we can get into yeah sometimes we got in a little trouble but it was nothing serious well particular night, my friend Marie went to go use the bathroom, and this was after we were giving strict instruction to stay in the room, not to come out, no more play, stay in the room, but hey, if you gotta go, you gotta go, right? <laughs> so anyhow, um, Marie came tiptoeing very fastly back to the room and said, Angie, you're not going to believe this. Your dad, Chaz, is making out with the other girl and it's not your mom. And I was like, what? So I peeked out there. Apparently, there was a crick that was in the hallway. I'll never forget this. It was in some apartments we lived at over off of Division Street. And of course, I had already seen him. He turned, both of them turned, seen me seeing them. And then it was time for her to go. I got in a little bit of trouble, both me and Marie did. Um, then he told me, you know, if I knew it was best for me and everything, for me to not tell my mom because it would make my mom very sick and she might lose the baby and then she'll hate me and blame me forever. That it would be my fault if anything happened to the baby guilt trip. That's where that came in. So anyway, 
I agree. The night ended. Henry went home the next day for Marie. Then here it comes. He was Chaz, that is, was all over me. All over me. Like flies on shit. Um a little squeeze here, a little squeeze there. Um him being in the bathroom, my mom either being asleep or in the kitchen or rocking on the couch. Um he would stand in the doorway of the bathroom. he would pull his shorts down and expose his parts to me while they were hard and even went as far as telling me to touch it, pet it, it's okay, it won't bite me. So I didn't really know what to do, so I did it. And it kind of kept escalating, like, for instance, I like to sit up late, watch television, and of course he always found himself coming in there watching scary movies with me. He would let me, allow me, he was like, I recognize now it's more of a grooming process because I've learned about more of this as I got older. So basically it was grooming me uh, to be able to trust him and to think that he was my friend, um, and that's what happened. Um, I know I think I fell down, busted my legs up, my knees pretty good, and of course he was there, he offered to make it feel better, and he told me by rubbing it, tickling it with his fingers and all, that it would, you know, bring, which sounded right, which would bring, you know, blood to that area for it to soothe my sore, and he said it would heal faster. Plus, it felt good. It did. It was like a tickle feeling. And I'm young. I'm not even a teenager yet. So, I'm like, oh, that does feel better. I can feel it working. You know, I think I've said something like that to him. Well, we from that to then he got his blanket put it over us. And then he got my hand and put my hand on his crotch. And I touched it put my hands on it so I knew that's what it meant and then he touched me through my pants though of course and then of course mom came in there asked what the two of us were doing and he said nothing mommy we're just watching a scary movie and started laughing so, she didn't really think much of it. Maybe on the expression on my face said it all. I don't know. But, in return, she did ignore it. The expression I had on my face. I was really hoping she was going to make him get up. But she didn't. She went into the kitchen. She fixed a glass of whatever it was she was drinking. And went back into her room and shut the door. So, that's all for right now. 
I'm going to add more of what happened a little bit later on my next episode. I am going to try to get more more things done on here. Um, more episodes because I think it's very important and I've been lacking um, sharing some of my experiences with you guys and I promise this all definitely makes a difference about my bariatric recovery um, because these are some of the things that definitely um, were my triggers of my weight gain uh, depression uh, out of nervousness things of the sort which is a very very real thing and I want you to know this there is a lot of help out there. So if anybody is hearing this and any of these things are sounding familiar, you know, please, uh, you know, don't ignore it. Things like this always end up progressing into something else. And maybe sometimes they're scared and they only do certain things to certain people. But whatever the case may be, in your situation, every situation is different and it does not make it appropriate no matter how old you are and who the one is that's doing it. They do not have the right to put their hands on your body. That is a no zone. Um, so anyway, stay tuned and I will be making another episode um, very soon so I can give you another part. This is going to come in many, many, many series. Um, and I'm going to be discussing very, very deep things that I've never discussed, but with only a therapist, my son and his wife, and just now one of my sisters, just one. Um, and I'll be digging deep into that, but until then, just please try to be good to yourself. Don't blame yourself. When things like this happen, it is not your fault absolutely not I don't care what you wear how less of what you wear just because of these things it does not make it your fault teenagers are extremely impressionable so are younger children and we have to as children rely on the parents to guide us in the correct way for them to teach us what we need to know and how to survive and I unfortunately but at the same time it is kind of fortunate that I was able to learn how to survive and yes I have done things that most people have not even thought of doing things that you only see in the movies and then some seriously so with all these things being said um, thank you for listening to my podcast please feel free to share it um, and I look forward um, to talking more about my very personal life with all of you. Thank you and have a wonderful day. Hello everybody. This is Bariatric Girl 1969 again. It's been a very long day for me. You'll have to excuse me. But I've been doing a lot of thinking and sometimes you have to, as much as you may love people, you may have to let them go.
for all the right reasons, for your own self-help. Sometimes damage, too much damage and destruction of relationships of all sorts are no longer repairable. And it's taken me 52 years to see this, even with all the therapy that I've gotten, which led to my eating addiction because I would eat to soothe. It's called soothe eating or whatever. Depression eating, binge eating. I guess it just gave me some kind of, uh, I don't know, um, gratification when other things couldn't, when things would be looking in the wrong direction. I would look towards food because food comforted me, but at the same time, it was slowly but surely killing me and my self-esteem at the same time, which I assure you now my self-esteem is A1, but it took me a lot to get to the point to where I am now. And as I said in my last segment, things that happened in my past that are a direct representation of how I came to live the life that I've lived. Um, again, if you're underage, you probably should not be listening to this unless you have a, an adult a suitable, suitable adult, um, maybe sharing this podcast in hopes that you will get something out of it and get the help necessarily that you need to fix your life. And I hope if I can just help even only one person to help from becoming the emotional wreck and overweight that I have become then it was all worth it. I'm not making money off of this. I'm just telling my story. I've tried writing a book before. Um, I've done interviews. And I basically was threatened that if I did write this book, um, that I would be basically cast out of the family. But at this point in my life, I really don't care at all <laughs> what happens nothing can be any worse than what I've already encountered in my life so with that being said if they decide to do that then have at it I don't care <laughs> I really truly don't care anymore it's not about them it's about me and if this is what I have to do to get my story out there the real story, then this is what I'm going to do. Period. So, as I was saying in the last episode, the inappropriate touching and fondling and then my mother becoming pregnant um, and then the girl, Catherine, let's call her, uh, and the inappropriate embrace with... Um, the stepfather, um, well, he was actually, I believe, 
I cannot remember if he was a boyfriend at the time or if they had gotten married already. I really don't recall. Don't really care. That part's probably irrelevant. But I was very young. I only wish I could show you pictures of the time frame of when all of the, these encounters had happened. Yeah. And uh, down to taking inappropriate pictures, modeling pictures, you know, with me with a bathing suit on, leaning up against a tree with my friend Marie, um, holding a rose, me sitting on the couch. I mean, I'm just looking at like the pictures that took place during the time when all of these incidences happened. Um, like when my teacher found out what was going on and contacted my mother, <clears throat> as I said in the last episode, and I could just look at the pictures because I remember that he had a touch radio. You just touch it and it turns on. And I was sitting on his old couch and next to that same touch radio. And you could see the depression in my eyes. You could see that I was not a normal child at that point. And it just went on from there. Um, also, he doesn't even know this, I don't believe. I may or may have told him, I don't know. But we took a trip um, from Oregon um, while my mom, I believe she was pregnant, um, we were driving. Or actually, I think she had already had her. I think she had Jenny by then. Yes, she had. And we took a trip with um, Chaz's brother, biological brother, and his wife in a van. And we drove across country, all of us. And we stopped and stayed at different places, which that was fun. The different KOA campsites, the MGM Grand Hotel in Las Vegas, that was a nice one. Uh, and I, for the most part, enjoyed it until we got to the MGM Grand. And I was uh, very young, and apparently I would started my period at a very young age. I was very emotional. I didn't know what was going on. Um, my mother was down at the pool, I believe, with... Uh, her sister-in-law and, uh, and Chaz and his brother felt the need to come upstairs. And when he did, uh, I was in the shower because I had just started for the first time and I was cleaning myself up. I didn't know what to do. I was panicking and freaking out, waiting on my mom to come upstairs and explain to me what was going on with my body. Um, so I had to clean off myself. And when I came out, I just had the shower, I mean, the towel wrapped around me and we'll call him, uh, Jared. Jared was sitting on the bed and he was staring at me. Uh, he always liked to play this tickle game with me. So I knew it was inappropriate because I was in you know, a towel <laughs> and I was trying to get away from him and he always did this howling thing like a werewolf or something. And he was very quite loud. Um, 
and he started tickling me and he always tickled me around my breast and then my private area when I was naked that particular time. And it made me feel very, very uncomfortable. But just then, um, my mom and uh, the baby and his wife came to the door and he heard it and he stopped. So I don't know what would have happened had that not happened. But there was only that one isolated incidence, I believe. And uh, it just kind of scared me. But anyhow, I was glad that they came in. And uh, so anyway, we uh, made our way and we came to Georgia. And it was nice for the most part. Everything was way different. Tried things I'd never tried before. I was eating a lot more. That's for sure. And it may have been because I had started for the first time. Or may have been my nerves. But um, Chaz had came out numerous times. And wanted to tuck me in. And, you know, try to give me a kiss and everything. And, you know... You know, give me a little pinch, you know, here and there. And, uh, <sighs> sorry, you guys, but when I think about this, it kind of angers me a little bit. But anyway, it was wrong. And, um,. Anyhow, uh, there was like a big barbecue thing going on with his families and all. It was in a little small country town in Georgia, a little place called Homerville, actually. So anyhow, we got together and uh, we were playing. Well, I was playing with uh, some of the their families, children that were around my age and to my surprise, I actually got in trouble because uh, I was playing Barbies and I guess I did something very inappropriate, much like I actually did with um, with my cousin in Oregon, my mother's sister's daughter. I was playing with her dolls and I was making humping and dirty gestures of her Barbie dolls doing nasty things, but that was my way of acting out. Because what had been done to me, which fast forward in Homerville, Georgia, I got in trouble for the same thing. And I was not allowed to play with the kids because of the inappropriateness. And they kept asking me where I got it from. How did I learn it? Of course, I couldn't say, you know, because I had been shushed basically from Chaz and, um, you know, this is Chaz's family. <laughs> so I got in trouble. And uh, nobody wanted to play with me when I was there. Of course, I was the oldest one. Um, yeah, so um, I kind of felt like a loner, you know, because I felt like that I was this dirty little girl, you know, with a dirty little mouth and a dirty little mind, because that's how I was made to feel. But nobody really knew why I, you know, I was the way that I was. And I couldn't say, oh, yeah, well, your cousin, your son, your whatever had been doing these things to me. <laughs> yeah. But. And some of my judgment may be a little cloudy because it's been a long time. 
but for the most part, I do remember everything. Just like there's things that I never, ever, ever told my family. I've only told them bits and pieces. And of course, they heard a lot of the lies from my mother, from her trying to cover up where her shit definitely stunk to make it look worse on me, including the fact of uh, one thing that actually came out last night was, and I'm not proud of this, um, even though it started at a very young age, and of course I was in foster care and I ran away and I was molested also in foster care. I was introduced to the pimping lifestyle, prostitution, things of the sort because of what I was going through. Um, even on my home visits, uh, not all of them, but several of them, I was, you know, fondled and touched, um, during that, um, there was no actual intercourse. There was everything but intercourse. Um, when I was an adolescent, the intercourse situation did not start till later, but at the same time, I know that it is inappropriate. But you also have to understand that my mom wanted nothing to do with me because of me being in and out of foster care, running away, getting involved in all kinds of situations. Well, apparently my mother at some point started seeing somebody. I don't know if it was her last husband that she had, but I, it could have been somebody else at the apartment complex um, that we lived at. And basically they were going through, her and her husband Chaz were going through it. And... Um, and I was doing prostitution at the time. And of course I had other siblings in and all. Um, and I was forbid from being able to spend time with them, knowing that they were my life, even though I was not raised with them, but I had always had a very strong love and liking for my siblings, all of them. And when my mother took that away from me and said that they, that I was a bad influence, it really hurt me. So by this time I was out there literally hooking on the street on Peachtree Street and Metropolitan Parkway, which used to be Stewart Avenue in Atlanta. Um, I did whatever I had to do to survive. And that, unfortunately, is what I had to do to survive. I mean, I was young. I had ran away from foster homes because I was being just as bad molested there. But actually, penetration, though, um, it was just horrible. Um, I got sold from one pimp to another pimp. I ran away from pimps um, so I can keep the money for myself so I could actually live. I was raped numerous times, three different times. One time gang raped by eight people. Um, once by an ex-pimp and all who beat the crap out of me and sent me to my first trip to Grady Hospital. And another one by another pimp named Diamond in Atlanta. And he's actually dead now, so I can say his name comfortably because he's dead. And Pretty Tony is dead, too. That was the other one. The other ones, I had no clue who they were. But I was with an ex-boyfriend of mine, and he would drive back and forth to Miami, and he would buy, uh, get large amounts of cocaine. And I knew people that would buy it, so I wanted to help, even though he told me not to. And that's how I got raped by the pretty Tony guy. He's an ex-pimp as well. And when I told him what I had, he told me to bring it to him. And I did it behind my boyfriend's back. And when I did, I found myself in a very, very compromising position. And I was raped, gang raped by eight people on the, on the west side of town. Around Ashby, Ashby Street, 
uh, area in Atlanta. It's a very known area for drug activity, prostitution, um, and all kinds of things. So anyhow, eventually my paths crossed and I met, um, my son's father, a guy named Ron. And, um, I met him while he was doing a drug deal when I was with another ex-boyfriend staying at a hotel over on Memorial Drive. So during this time, you know, um, uh, my mom, you know, it's sad, but my mom, you know, would not let me see my sisters or my brother. Um, she thought I was a bad influence and, um, because of my lifestyle, which I couldn't help my lifestyle, <laughs> but you know, Hey, that was her way of dealing with things, I guess, you know, who am I to say whatever, you know, but I know, I think it was wrong, but she knew how much it meant to me to be able to see the kids. I love the kids so very much. And, uh, I basically sold my soul because that's really what it felt like to be able to see them because Chaz, um, you know, he, I didn't realize at the time about the whole grooming thing, the whole grooming process. And I know that's a part of what it was. And he wanted my, uh, expertise of what I did in return. He would let me spend time with the kids as long as they didn't tell mom. So I would take care of business. That's how the other part of the inappropriateness of my adulthood took place. It wasn't that I just wanted to do whatever. I knew that the only way I would be able to see my sisters and my brother would be if I were to do things that are unnameable. And I did. Sickening, yes, very much so. Um, but I did what I felt that I had to do at the time. And by this time, I was barely an adult, barely. But I did what I had to do, and I was able to see them, even if it wasn't for that long. Time went on and on. I got deeper and deeper in the prostitution. Luckily, I can honestly say I never really got into drugs. Drinking, maybe I would drink a little, but not much. And, uh... You know, things just uh, kept um, kept going. I found myself pregnant at an early age, um, going back to when I was 13. Uh, I was raped then. I forgot all about that incident, and that was not with the other three. <laughs> so four times I was raped. <sighs> he was older. His name was Scott. There used to be a place called Players Video Arcade place that used to be on Shalliford Road in Shambly, Georgia. All the kids used to hang out there. Apparently this guy was there working with his uncle and it was my first time, I believe, drinking alcohol. I went with them and I woke up and, you know, there was a big mess. And by then I couldn't say no anymore because I was already de-virginized or raped and I continued to do it. So my first time I ever had actual sex, which he was older, he was definitely um, of age <laughs> um, when I was underage. And uh, the first time I ever had sex, I got pregnant. And I was forced with the courts of Georgia. They forced me to have an abortion, which my mom fought tooth and nail because she and my family did not believe in abortion. 
and uh, I ran away to prevent myself from having an abortion and I hitchhiked and got you know in compromising positions there but I did them for money um, to Daytona Beach Florida where I stayed at 220 North Halifax Road I'll never forget it's like two three blocks from the boardwalk I was like 13 14 years old somewhere around in there <sighs> got into so much there and I just guess I got tired because I was basically living on the streets because the house that I was staying at, they put me out. And um, there, at that time in the 80s, you know, uh, police would drive up to you. And if they ask you your social security and your information, you have to either have it on you or you have to know it by heart. Otherwise, they won't let you go. So I messed up saying it like two or three times. I said something different each time, but it was similar. And they put me in the back of the car in cuffs and they took me to the runaway center. And then, of course, I had to tell them that I had ran away and where I ran away from. They contacted the state of Georgia. And I'll tell you what. It was a very horrifying experience because I was 13 years old, like I said. And they sent me on an airplane to come all the way back to Georgia and my caseworker and my mother met me at the airport as soon as I got off. It was like immediate. They took me directly to the Women's Center in Atlanta, somewhere around Northside Drive. And that's where I was forced to do an abortion. And I was wide awake and felt every single inch of that pain. So... And I was eating a lot off and on out of depression because there wasn't anything else for me to do. And you would think that after me running away and then going through a horrible traumatic abortion experience, that that would be enough uh, punishment. But no, about two weeks after that, they decided, my caseworker decided that I needed more uh, of a stiffer punishment. <laughs> Of all things, they put me in a youth detention center for two whole weeks. Yeah, two whole weeks where I got my ass whooped by at least four or five different girls, at least. Um, nobody did anything to protect me there. Yeah, of course, they broke up the fight, but it kept going on and on and on and on almost the entirety of the two weeks that I was there until the day that I was released. Um, and then from that point on, it got even worse, obviously. Um, I guess I had made a comment to some effect that I didn't want to be there anymore. Like, you know, like be alive anymore. And I went to, which actually this place was not that bad. <laughs> it was uh, the Georgia Mental Health Institution that was located. It's no longer there now, but it was on Briarcliff Road in Atlanta. And I did go stay there for quite some time. It seemed like a really long time. And I don't recall if I, when I did leave there, if I actually went back to uh, the foster home 
or if they, in fact, sent me to West Central Georgia Regional Mental Health Hospital in Columbus, Georgia. But, you know, the dates and the times are kind of up in the air with me because I don't really recall all of the details. I just do remember the things that happened. So I apologize if I ramble from time to time. I just think that my story needs to be heard. The real story. Um, I think I liked it better when I was at George Mental Health or West Central Georgia Regional because those two places were the only two places that nobody was messing with me sexually at. Um, and at some point I did return back to my foster home, which I did love. Um, I love my actual foster parents. They were wonderful, 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 wonderful. But I was very inappropriate doing very inappropriate sexually, uh, motivated type things, not towards them, of course, but there was a boy there named Curtis and we had an inappropriate sexual thing on the bathroom floor hallway upstairs um, when everybody was asleep and I wanted him to stop but he didn't it was just more or less flirting that led into him basically taking it uh, he was a little older I think he was like 16 at the time so he was much bigger than myself so I allowed him to do what he wanted to do and it hurt very bad. Um, and then from that, um, I believe shortly thereafter, my, uh, my foster parents, um, my foster father was actually from, um, Africa. I believe it was Ghana, Africa. And both him and his wife we're going to take a trip to go back to visit his family home. So they left. And in the process, they had these people called relief house parents. And I know this was around the Christmas holidays, if I'm not mistaken. It totally was. Now, Raymond, which was the relief house parent, was actually married to, I think, somebody named Janet or Janice, I believe. And they had a baby. Um, anyhow, they were both supposed to be there because there was two boys. No, excuse me. I think it was two girls and four boys at the time, or maybe it was two girls and three boys that were staying there. And basically, Raymond seemed really super cool, especially when his wife was not around. He would let us get away with extra things, and I was smoking cigarettes at the time, of course. Um, so, what he did was, uh, apparently I heard them over talking, you know, him and his wife, and his wife was not so nice, not so nice at all. Uh, I remember her just being kind of foul, acting towards me, especially. Um... So anyway, it was said that she was going to go visit her family out of state, which she was not supposed to do. But 
Raymond made sure that he talked to all of us and they agreed not to say anything at all. None of us did. So she left to go out of town to go spend family with her family. I mean, Christmas with her family, the holidays. And the only person that left to take care of us all was Raymond. Now, Raymond was really cool, don't get me wrong, but he also was a pedophile. <laughs> I learned this firsthand. They are out there. And don't think for a second I don't agree with the foster care system, because to a point I do, but I am very leery of it, only due to the things that happened to me when I was in it. And I know still things do exist now that are inappropriate and not called for in those situations. So anyhow, it was getting closer to Christmas and Raymond, you know, was like, oh, and the girl, the other girl, it was me and another girl. She was going home on a home visit. And one of the three boys was, so it was just me and two other boys in the home that were the only ones left there that was not able to go home with their families for the holidays. So in return, he took us with him and he went to a friend of his named Freddie's house or these apartments. He went to a big party and I was just like, wow, I was like, I've never seen anything like this. You know, they were like um, break dancing and doing all kinds of really cool stuff. I mean, that, that's the end thing that was going on in the 80s. So I was just like, wow, taken back. I mean, I was having a time in my life because my foster, my actual foster parents would never let us do anything. They were so on us, which they should have been. And now I see why. Maybe that's the reason why I am the way I am about my own and the grandkids or any other kids. And if I see somebody making a mistake that I think that they're going to live to regret it later, I cannot help but to uh, engage and try to get them to not do that. But anyhow, on with the story. Um, I was offered a drink. Not just a drink, though. It was an alcoholic beverage. Oh, boy. And boy, oh boy, was it really good. It was called Brass Monkey. And it was delicious. But I had no clue of the consequences that I would have to take behind that. Oh. So anyway, um, I drank and I drank. And I had a really good time. And I danced and I talked to people. And at some point that night... Um, my two foster brothers, I don't know where they were, if they were even still there, if Raymond had taken them home, I don't recall, but I do know this. I know that I threw up, got sick, and I ended up into a bedroom. I don't know whose bedroom. I'm assuming it was that Freddy guy's bedroom. And when I did, I remember like bits and pieces. Uh, but I know that I was raped for sure. Not only by Freddie, but by Raymond as well. He raped me. Freddie raped me. And two other guys raped me. So it was a total of at least four, between four and six. That's all I know. That's all I remember. Um, I've been raped so many times. I just, 
I can't even recall every single time. <sighs> but, um, anyway, um, at some point he took us home or I woke up at home and he asked me not to say anything about anything. He said that I was all over them and he said that he didn't want to get in trouble because he really was not supposed to be there and his wife was out of town and they would get fired and they would be out of a place to live. So of course I did what I was taught to do a long time ago to keep my mouth shut and to keep another secret. And that's exactly what I did because I always seemed to feel responsible for either if my mother lost the baby and it would be my fault because if I told it would destroy her and she would hate me forever is what I was told. <sighs> Same thing like with Raymond. Raymond. Um, same exact thing. Same situation. So I learned to keep my mouth shut. It was something I was good at doing at that time. You know, I was able, you know, hey, I, I mean, any other time I could pretty much for the most part, it, it seemed okay because it was like I could do whatever I wanted to do and really wouldn't get in so much trouble as long as I was careful in how I did things, you know? And, uh, so anyhow, my foster parents came back and everything was fine for a while. And then <laughs> something came out about Raymond. And of course, my foster mother asked me what had happened. And I told her, and then she immediately called my caseworker. She said she had to make a report of it. They made a report of it, but they, I guess, did not believe it because it had been so long since it had happened, maybe like a month or so. And they did not take it serious. And the funny, well, it's not really funny, but I'm just saying just a figure of speech. The funny thing about it was there was another girl in another one of those particular foster homes owned by the same company had also, and we didn't even know each other, like one or two girls actually, um, accused him of the same exact thing, same thing. But when I gave my statement, they chalked it off to um, me having a personal vendetta against men because of what my stepfather had done to me. And they thought I was just jumping on the bandwagon, even though we, I knew nothing about the other girls at all. I only learned about it because my foster mother was talking to my caseworker about other incidences with the same Raymond guy and two other girls in that same, uh, you know, same foster home community, but in two different other households, like a Cobb County house and some other house that was in Douglasville or something like that. We were in Decatur. So not really much happened about that. I couldn't do anything. So of course they put me on more things like lithium, Thorazine, uh, Melaril, Cogentin. I was taking all these drugs and of course, you know, to like control my moods and my, I guess, post-traumatic stress, what have you, my hyperness. And it got me to the point where I was just like, almost like zombie-ish, even in school. And it greatly affected my schooling. 
so anyway, sorry, somebody was at the door. So, um, I may have to take a break right now, but, um, I'm going to add more to this after a while and, um, because there's so much I need to share and this is going to take <laughs> maybe a few, um, series and episodes before I can actually complete this. So be tuning in and, um, You'll hear more about my actual story soon. And until then, be good, everybody. Be good to yourself. And if you're harboring any kind of emotional baggage, make sure that you reach out to the appropriate people and talk to somebody. Because any and everybody can be helped. It's not like it was back in the 70s and 80s. Things did start changing look out for you you're number one and if nobody's told you yet you definitely matter and don't let anybody tell you you don't things always happen for a reason